I think writing is being able to step back a foot from who we are and and what we're experiencing, or even to look back on something and slightly remove ourselves from it, and then say, okay, how, what happened there? You know, what do I observe? And that's both connecting with my own feelings, but it's also separating myself with my own feelings just enough to try to keep some sort of unbiased perspective about it. Welcome to another episode of Right of Your Life, where life happens and life storytelling transforms it. Our show is brought to you by lifestorytelling.com. And guess what? You don't have to be a writer to write your life stories. Lifestorytelling.com will teach you how. If you've been through hell and lived to tell about it, or your family skeletons are poking out of the closet, you'll want to check it out at lifestorytelling.com. Where there's smoke, there's fire. And our guest today is on fire. Brett Guida has launched two multi-million dollar businesses, studied with some of the world's leading self-development teachers, visited 40 countries, released an album, started a stage musical, and he currently trains and coaches professionals at Fortune 1000 companies globally. He was voted most likely to replace Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show by his high school classmates. Brett shares his insights on self-development through writing and what we can learn from events in our lives. There's so much packed into that introduction, Brett. I don't know where to start. I'd much rather be Jimmy Fallon now than Johnny Carson. (laughs) I love Johnny, don't get me wrong, but I think Jimmy's a little bit more my vibes. Uh But yeah, everything in that bio is true. So that's the good news. A lot packed in there, but it's all all the truth. Okay, what kind of album? Just have to ask about that. Um, You know, I guess it was kind of pop rock folk. It was me and acoustic guitar and then layered on top was everything from drums to keyboards. And, you know, it's interesting. We're talking about stories today. I mean, that album was as much of a confessional as anything. And, and when I listen back to it, it really just feels like me writing and singing about an 18-month period of my life that I needed to exercise. It oh. was, uh, it's great to have it, you know, just like, in, just like writing, I think it's great to have it documented. It's always there. And I, I can always reflect back on that period of my life, though. In that case, it's through music. Absolutely. There's a lot of songwriters who write songs about their lives, and they're really great at telling that story into very concise words. Mm. So now you have Where There's Smoke, and that is somewhat about yourself. Tell us a little bit about how you bring your writing into the Where There's Smoke podcast. Uh, Well, Where There's Smoke, the byline is, or the tagline, is self-development through the lens of current events, sports, and pop culture. If we were being really accurate, it probably would be self-development through the lens of current events, sports, pop culture, and my life. <laughs> right. So I guess my life is the current events, right? But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it, you know very much the idea came to me a few years ago. And originally, it was this idea of big fan of The Daily Show. And I thought, well, what if I could take things like The Daily Show, you know, like these these shows on TV where they talk about the world, but instead of just talking about the world, I could actually filter that into how can we all be better? You know, how can we show up differently? How can we be better parents? How can we be better business people? How can we be better women, better men? And that's what we do. And every week I craft an episode that has some sort of theme, some sort of idea that that we're talking about. So it's been incredibly fun. I feel like I'm getting to fully express myself. I feel like this show is the culmination of everything I've experienced and done in my life. And as I was saying to you before we came on air here, I feel like this is the first time in my life I've really been a professional writer. I mean, I've been writing since I was a little kid. My mom always thought I was going to end up being a writer, uh-huh. but I was never you know, put in a position where I had to write. I always wrote when I was 
inspired or when I was lost or whatever it was. But now week to week, I got a show to do. And, you know, whether the muse shows up or not, I got to sit down and start <laughs> typing. That muse is so fickle sometimes. For so real. <laughs> but that's is what a real writer does. The real writer shows up time after time after time. How does that feel for you? Because you've got to also reflect and you can't necessarily just push that out, but you've got to reflect on what's happened, how you feel about that, and make comments on the world at large. How does that work for you each week? Yeah, well, it's, it, it's interesting. And, and part of it, which I'll, I'll mention in a second, is I have a partner. And I think having a producer and someone that I can show my writing to and that can read stuff and edit stuff really helps in, in a couple of ways, which I'll mention in a second. But before I say that, I'll just say that anytime you're attempting to teach something or make a point, you know, even if you think about a conversation when you're at a party and you want to make a point, oftentimes you think about something that happened to you or you think about all, you know, that story about your cousin or, you know, your brother mm -hmm. or that guy at work, right? Like when we, whenever we're, we're looking to connect with people or make a point, we often go to story, right? Because, right. because, you know, facts don't resonate. They don't connect with us emotionally. So I think as I think about things or even if things happen in the world and I go, wow, like, we really need to be more accountable. And I think I want to do a show on accountability. It's not just going to be a show about me pointing my finger at the world and all the ways how the world needs to be more accountable. It's always going to start with, well, let me think about where are the places in my life where I need to be more accountable. And let me think about times in my life where not being accountable hurt me or times in my life where I learned that lesson. And because I showed up and was accountable, I created something better. And let me bring that into the show, because if I don't bring that into the show, first of all, I don't think it's real. And second of all, I, I'm as much a part of this as anyone. This is my show is not about how everyone else can be better because Brett's arrived. <laughs> you know, my show is <laughs> right. about how can we all work together and how can we look at things and ask questions and consider things. I have to bring me into it. And now with regards to Nick, who's my partner, I brought him up because I think it's really fortunate for me. You know, if I'm being really honest, when I was younger, I think I was a little narcissistic in my artistic endeavors, just meaning that I loved writing about myself. I loved talking uh -huh. about myself. And, and so my tendency when he started the show was to almost pull, pull that back, right? Because I thought, well, I talk about myself too much. I don't want the show to be about me. I want the show to be about the world and other people. And, and it's Nick that oftentimes says to me, you know what this show needs? It needs a little Brett. Right. And because he understands that two things. One is that, you know, the more personal something is, the more universal it is. But I think he also understands that at this point, our listeners are also invested in my story and, 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 and to a certain extent, Nick's story, because they're kind of watching our journey as they're on their journey. And so it's nice to have that partner who's able to say to me, hey, bring a little bit more personal in here, get a little bit more emotional. That's what connects you with other people in the world is in that emotion and bearing your soul and bearing parts of you that might normally be hidden. Mm. And that's what you do. So you have a snippet of writing that you've done about your dad, speaking of your dad. Yeah. Can you share that with us? Uh, yeah, I can. I pulled this from an episode we just did a couple weeks ago. It was a kind of a Father's Day episode, but when you listen to it, you realize it's, it's actually a Father's Day episode, a Mother's Day episode, a grandparents episode. It, it's really about all the people that have influenced in our lives. And, and this is a moment in my life when I was 18 years old that's always been very planted in my memory. And I've actually written about it a couple of times. Since the age of 18, I've remembered a very specific moment from the day of my dad's funeral. And like all memories that are seared into our brains, 
I've pulled meaning from it. And the interpretation of that moment ended up shaping much of the next decade of my life. And it all happened right here. At this very spot, as I record this, I'm standing on the corner of North Service Road in here, Ontario, in Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. And this moment that I'm talking about, it happened right over there. With my mom and my brother stopped at the red light in the car behind the hearse carrying my dad. There were so many people at my dad's funeral. I remember it feeling like he didn't have an enemy in the world, which of course wasn't true. It was just this feeling that so many people cared that he was alive and so many people were devastated that he was gone. And there we were, sitting in the back seat of this town car. I was in the middle, my brother on one side, my mom on the other, and we got to the stoplight. And I remember turning around and looking out the back window and all I could see for as far as I could see was a line of cars. And if you've ever seen the movie Field of Dreams, you may remember the final shot. The camera pans out, and as the shot gets wider, you see a line of car lights coming to the field that just seem to go on forever. The cars validating the hypothesis of James Earl Jones' character that people will come. And that's what I remember seeing that day at my dad's funeral, even though it was actually daylight outside. I distinctly remember thinking to myself, well, they're following me now. That is very touching. It's descriptive and it's reflective. How did it feel writing about that moment in time? Well, I've written about it a few times. And so it was interesting just to revisit it recently because I feel like I saw it in a very different light, which I think is often the case when we you know, write about things often. The other interesting thing that always strikes me when I write about emotional moments like this is just realizing that I'm very much writing about the experience as I experienced it, right? Not necessarily mm. as it was. I mean, even as I say in this piece, I have this memory of turning around and seeing these line of cars. And I've been back to the location and I can tell you that it is impossible for that to have actually been <laughs> what I saw. Like it's, it's not the geography of the land just doesn't permit that I would have seen that far back. And so right. I think that what's really interesting about when we write about emotional things is what actually happened is blended obviously with our experience and our emotions. And then what happens over time is our emotions change, right? So let's say if at the time you were really angry about something and then over time you start to heal. Well, then all of a sudden when you write about that thing 15 years later, you probably write about it with less aggression because it doesn't seem like it was as aggressive because you've healed. And so, you've yeah, you've changed. Mm -hmm. Did you learn something about yourself when you wrote this? Uh, yeah, yeah, very much. I mean, interestingly, I mean, I think when I initially wrote about this moment, what I was recognizing was how much pressure I was putting on myself. Right. Because I had created this moment and I had made my dad into this Superman and I was trying to live up to his, you know, to who I thought he was. And he was a great guy. Don't get me wrong, but he was just like all of us. He was like mm -hmm. doing his best. <laughs> he wasn't perfect. And I had made him out. So I was trying to live my life to this standard of, oh my God, everybody's following me now. I have to, to be perfect. And, and also this idea that everybody has to like me because I made up that story at my dad's funeral that he didn't have any enemies. Right. And so that was a lot of the story for years. One of the exercises that I encourage folks to do is to write to your past self. So write something to that 18-year-old, and it unravels those memories and releases some of those emotions that you had and allows you to move forward much more freely than if you hadn't written about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it is really interesting to think that and to do that for sure. Now, in your podcast, you talk a lot about one of the pieces of emotional intelligence, which is self-awareness. It's a huge piece. Yeah. 
tell me a little bit more about how you encourage that. Well, I actually think self-awareness is the foundation of self-development, period. No matter what I teach, and it doesn't matter if I'm in working with a you know, executive team at a Fortune 1000 company or if I'm talking to a 10-year-old kid about how to talk to that cute girl he likes. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> really, whenever I'm talking to anyone, I always talk to people about this idea of staying present and being aware of, of how you're doing and what you're acting. Because you have that executive who says, I'm going to go into this meeting and this is how I'm going to react and this is what I'm going to say. And if they say this, this is what I'm going to do. And then they go into the meeting and someone pushes their button and all of a sudden they react emotionally or, or they get nervous and they forget what they're going to say and they do something different, you know, or that 10 year old kid who says, yeah, man, I am, I, I am a nice guy and, and people like me and I'm going to go ask that girl to dance. I think a huge part of showing up in the world the way we want to show up is our ability to constantly be practicing being present and self-aware, which, again, you're never going to achieve it 100%, but you're always just working on it. So when I look at the show and I look at what I do, I mean, that's really what writing is, right? I have this idea in my head all the time of, you know, I'm Brett, right? So, you know, here I am, Brett, living in the world, but floating above me, like about two feet above me and just a little bit behind me is my spirit or my soul or like my, it would, you know, you can put any word on it you want. You can call it your, sub, right. your subconscious. And that in many ways, I'm kind of watching me live my life. Right. And anyone out there, I don't care what your spiritual or religious beliefs are, just ask yourself if you've ever talked to yourself. Oh, yeah. Everyone who's listening right now just went, do I talk to myself? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so They talk to themselves. So if you're talking to yourself, then you're clearly more than one mind. Right. So I always see myself as kind of watching myself. And oftentimes, that's what I think about with self-awareness. And that's what I think writing is. I think writing is being able to step back a foot from who we are and, and what we're experiencing or even to look back on something and slightly remove ourselves from it and then say, okay, how, what happened there? You know, what do mm -hmm. I observe? And that's both connecting with my own feelings, but it's also separating myself with my own feelings just enough to try to keep some sort of unbiased perspective about it. Because sometimes the stories that we tell ourselves are not true. And when you step back like that and really take a good look, you can sort a little bit better between the truth and the not truth that you're telling yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you could make an argument that there is no truth, right? Because it's ultimately yeah. just our perspective. Right. I don't know, you know, I had this experience talking about writing. This was a really interesting experience for me. I've always written nonfiction, always. So it's always been mm -hmm. kind of personal journals and writing how what I see in the world. And when I would travel, I would write a lot of travel logs and I'd email them out to people. And the reason I never wrote fiction, because I always thought that nonfiction was more interesting and that it really happened. Right. And then about 10 years ago, maybe more, I decided to take a fiction class just because, you know, what the heck. So I take this fiction class and she asked us to write this piece. And long story short, I basically had this realization that fiction was just nonfiction with liberties. Because, yes. because what I ended up writing about was I ended up writing this story about this girl I had met in college. And I always wished that I had asked her out and, and, we were, and she was going traveling and she wanted me to go with her and all this stuff. And, and so I wrote the story that I did. <laughs> but I, right. Right? And it turned into this amazing <laughs> story and it was fiction, but it kind of started in nonfiction. And then the other thing I realized about fiction was every single time I wrote a character, I was basing them on people I knew because what else was I going to base them on? Right. So it's like, oh, this is a little bit of mix of Stacy and my mom with uh, Mary that I work with. Right. So right. it was this real. It, I don't know why it never occurred to me before, but I was like, oh, wow, fiction <laughs> is just nonfiction. It's just with liberties and kind of shaken up and mixed up. And and so, you know, even that, like even when we're writing fiction, it's really a, a conglomeration of a lot of different truths. 
It's interesting. Absolutely. Well, and turning that around a little bit, that's how you make nonfiction really great writing is you borrow some of those things from fiction writing, from novel writing that make an interesting scene. Mm. And that's what brings it to life. That's what makes the best life story writing is are things that are actually borrowed from fiction writing. Yeah. So you and my producer, Nick, would get along really great. That's one of the things he's yeah. always talked to me about. He's <laughs> like, we got to, what's the scene? Where is it? We need a scene. Where, the you scene. know, and if you've, you've, if you've listened to <laughs> our show, you've heard when he paints those scenes, you know, he loves yes. that. Because I'm a storyteller and that tells the story. I'm a big fan of your show. What I love about your work is that you do tell stories. Let me ask you this. A lot of our listeners really struggle to think of themselves as a writer or haven't thought much about writing about their lives, what advice would you give them? Well, I would certainly say that ask yourself, what is the purpose of writing for you, right? It's interesting. Mm -hmm. I was on a podcast just recently that was a, a podcast for runners. And I had this interesting debate with the woman because I told her I wasn't a runner. I said, I run, but I'm not a runner. And the reason I told her that was I said, because there are people who actually take running seriously. There are people who are out running every day and they're working at it and they're working. And I don't want to insult them by saying I'm a runner. I do run. Periodically, I run. And it was this funny conversation, but it was kind of what we were talking about earlier about that professional or that amateur. Right. I bring that up just to say that I see how people can get caught up in that word because she's like, Brett, you're a runner. If you run, you're a runner, you know? And <laughs> it's really at, at the end of the day, it's like, well, well, what is it that you want to get out of it? And so for me, for years, I mean years, uh, decades really, I didn't write for any reason except to process things. Right. I'm going to write. I'm going to write to process things. And no one ever has to read it right. if you don't want them to. And it's not, you don't even have to read it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure you've talked <laughs> about it on your show. I've always loved the concept of morning pages. Right. Absolutely. That idea of you just get up and you just write three pages, stream of consciousness. You don't stop. Just get out that junk. And you don't even ever have to read it. Some people never read it. Most people don't read it that day. Some people will like write for two weeks and then read. Some people never read it because it's not, it doesn't have to be about that. And again, writing can be lots of different things. But if you think about just all the noise, sometimes writing is just about getting rid of the noise so you can, so you can get clarity. Absolutely. Other times writing is about, well, I want to express something to someone. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to talk about. When I get in front of them, I get nervous. Or I'm not really good with my words, but if I can craft a letter. I know in our world today, there's writing gets a little bit of a bad rap because now people want to break up with people by text or like, you know, right. send, send an email <laughs> instead of having a conversation. And I get that. But I also think we've kind of lost the art of a letter. Absolutely. There's something really beautiful about a letter to tell someone how you feel about them or to share with them something you're struggling with and you're afraid to talk in person to open up a conversation. So I think it depends on there's so infinite reasons to write. But I think that, gosh, I don't think judgment belongs anywhere in writing, not in, no not in your writing. At the same time, if I put my writing out there, whether it's in a podcast or a book or a movie, if people want to criticize it, okay. I mean, I'm opening myself up to that. But if you, but for you, for the listener, if you're just saying, wow, I just kind of want to write and like, just no one ever has to read it and, and judgment from judgment from you should not be in the equation. Absolutely. And I think there's a myth out there that people either are born great writers or learn to be great writers. And then the first words that come out are there are magnificent. It wasn't true for Hemingway. It wasn't true for any great writer. It just doesn't come out that way. You know, if, if I can recommend something, if, for people who are out there that are saying, I want to be 
a writer, right? So you're saying maybe, God, I'd love to have a blog or I'd love to write a book or I'd love to have a pod. Eventually, you would like to actually be a professional writer, let's say. And right now you're mm-hmm. just petrified and you think I'm no good and or I don't know where to start or I'm not as good as everyone else. If I can so recommend going online and looking up The Gap, which is Ira Glass. Yep. Oh, I love Ira Glass. Ira Glass is the host of This American Life. And in an interview he gave, he talked about this concept called The Gap. And you can watch the actual interview of him talking about it. Someone also took it and turned it into like a kind of animated Vimeo video. And go watch it. The core of it, which I'll just, I'll share is this. It's that if you want to do something in your life, say, I want to write a a novel or I want to write a movie or I want to write a blog. Well, you obviously have good taste. Right. Meaning that you read blogs and go, wow, that's really good. Oh, that's not very good. Or you watch a movie and you go, that was terribly written. Or you watch a movie and you go, wow, the dialogue's amazing. Right? Sure. So you have this great taste because you've been absorbing art for decades. And so you so right. if you think about the 10,000 hour rule. It's like you, for decades you've been, so you're kind of a master when it comes to understanding what's good or bad for you. But yes. then you start writing and what you write is never, like never, going to be up to par to what you currently think is good taste because (laughs) the only way to get from where you are to to being good is to actually put in those 10,000 hours writing. Right. So what he calls the gap is that basically any artist, when they start doing something, there's this gap between what they know is good and what they know their stuff is. And it's this feeling of like, oh my God, my writing is crap and I know it. And, and, and I, and I don't know how to deal with that. Right. And the way to deal with it is to realize like, that's awesome. <laughs> that is, yay, that, just get started that's the process. Right. It's like, if I've never, Absolutely. if I've never run in my life and I go up for my first run, I'm going to be exhausted after half a block. But if I keep running and practice and get in good shape and well, eventually maybe I can run a half marathon. Like, so anything you do in life is going to take time. But what happens I think with art is it's such a vulnerable process and it's such an emotional process that when we first do it and we know what we know, we believe we know what's good. And then we read what we wrote and we went, oh my God, I'm horrible. And then we stop, <laughs> right? And it's like, wow, don't, so that, go, go watch Ira Glass, The Give Gap. It's, 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 it's amazing. Yeah. And then just bookmark it. And every time you're feeling, <laughs> just, <laughs> every time you doubt yourself, yeah, go it's watch. like three minutes, just go watch it and remind yourself <laughs> that you're going to get there because you're going to get there wherever there is for you you'll get there. And the cool thing is that, again, oftentimes it's not even about getting there. It's just about the process and writing and using it as a tool to like understand our emotions, you know, to understand the stories we're telling ourselves. Absolutely. Well, Brett, I could talk for hours with you. This has been very interesting. You have a giveaway, though, for the first five folks who reach out to you by email about the interview. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, you'd reached out and you said, you know, do you have any giveaways? What I love to do, you know, the motto on our show is we're all in this together. And what we're doing on mm-hmm. Where There's Smoke is we're building a community. And mm-hmm. so what I will do is the first five people that email me and the email is simply connect at wherethersmoke.co. The first five people who email me about this interview and say, hey, I heard you, you know, on Stacy's show. It was great. I will do a shout out for them on the show. And if you're up to anything, so if you've got a blog post or, you know, a book you wrote or an album you put out, tell me in the email because I will not only shout you out, but I will promote whatever it is you're doing and and give some attention to it. And, you know, we have thousands of listeners, so it'll be a fabulous. That is great. Well, Brett, thank you so much for being generous with your time and expertise and your experience. And the show is Where There's Smoke. And where's the best 
place to connect with you on iTunes or your website? Yeah, so if you go to wherethersmoke.co, that's probably the easiest place to go as far as every avenue to get it. And then, of course, if you use the podcast app on iTunes, just look up Where There's Smoke. Excellent. Thanks for building a community around that. And thank you for being on our show. Uh, it's been a blast, Stacey. I love talking writing and I, I don't get to do it often. So, uh, so thank you so much. Great information from Brett Gaida. You can find show notes, links to all the items mentioned, and a free download entitled Five Myths of Life Story Writing at writeofyourlife.com slash Brett Gaida. That's G-A-J-D-A. Now, at the end of each episode, I peek into the Life Story Toolkit and share information on one particular tool that you might consider using if you're writing or would like to start writing about your life. The Life Story Toolkit is sponsored by lifestorytelling.com, where you can find your life theme, discover where to start writing, and craft your life into a compelling story. This episode's Life Story Toolkit features the StoryCorps app. The StoryCorps app and StoryCorps.me were created as a global platform for listening, connecting, and sharing stories of the human experience. You might know them from the StoryCorps stories on National Public Radio. The StoryCorps app is a free mobile application and seamlessly walks users through an interview by providing all the necessary tools for a wonderful experience. You receive help preparing the questions, finding the right environment for your conversation, and recording a high-quality interview on your mobile device. You can even share the finished product with friends and family and upload it to StoryCorps.me. In addition, all the interviews uploaded to the platform during the first year of the program will be archived in the American Folklife Center at the Library of Congress. The StoryCorps app is an app with a purpose. It's a way for individuals to connect in a meaningful way with those close to them and gain insight into their lives. Well, that's all we have for today. In our last episode, Meg Warden shared her desire to separate her story of entering prison from her young son's story of his mom leaving for prison. If you've had to make some tough life decisions, you might want to go back and have a listen. In our next episode, we'll interview a guest whose joy might confuse you. Mary DeMuth is a child of three divorces and a victim of sexual assault at a young age. She is now an accomplished author and lives a vibrant life. So stay tuned for her story. If you liked this podcast, we'd love it if you share it with your neighbors. You can find the share button on just about any podcast player you're listening to right now. You can head over to our website, writeofyourlife.com, and share it from there. We're on Pinterest, Facebook, and just about anywhere you can hold a great virtual conversation. My handle is writeofyourlife. This show is put together by consulting producer Nick Jaworski at podcastmonster.com and myself, Stacy Curtis. We hope that today you have the right of your life. <laughs>